Hey everyone, welcome to Embers in the Dark, a podcast that seeks to open up scripture as God's revealed word and um, seek truth, understand truth as he's revealed it, and then apply it to our lives. We'll have sermons and conversations and and a few other different things that just seek to open up and expound on God's word, uh, and again, just to, to bring it into application into our lives. Enjoy. Isaiah 6, Uh, we'll focus on verses 8 to 13 just briefly, uh, and and that's for context when we go to Mark chapter 4, because Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. This is Isaiah 6, verses 8 to 13. And I, that is Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, sorry, this is Isaiah saying, Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, that is the Lord said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like the terebinth, or like an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So just context here, this is the Lord bringing judgment upon his people. If you've read the first five chapters of Isaiah, you'll see that the Lord has called his people to repentance. And that their big issue is that they have rejected the word of the Lord. Just briefly, here's, verse, here's chapter 5, verse 24. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down into the flame, so their root, looking forward again to Isaiah 6, their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like the dust. Why? For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They have refused to repent. The Lord has called them to repentance, but they continue to reject his word. And that's not only the law, as he says there in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. It's not just the law, but it's also the word of the prophets whom the Lord has sent. And so now we get to chapter 6 in Isaiah, and the Lord says, Go, speak to these people, preach to these people, because I am making their ears hard of hearing, I'm making their eyes blind, I'm making their hearts dull. Go and, back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. With that Context. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. What I'll do is I'll just kind of give an intro 
into um, what's going on here with the parables. Uh, just, just this might be review for you, for some of you who know obviously what a parable is, uh, but we'll just take a, f- a few just brief minutes to go into it. So parables. While some sections of, of Scripture give us grand theology, when we look at Romans chapter 8 to 11, there are other passages of Scripture that move us to emotional responses or even emotional reprieve. We look at the Psalms and the, all the different types of Psalms. Psalms, And others leave us in wonder and awe where we were, are truly unable to grasp the height and the depth and the glory of God. We think of Job chapters 38 to 42. Next to these big passages, next to these very complex passages, parables seem pretty simple. Jesus' parables seem simple and almost childlike. But they're not. They're meant to penetrate us. That's what the parable is for. It's to penetrate us with a truth that is outside of ourselves. To teach us and shape our soft hearts in some way that makes us more and more like Christ. Parables are meant to rebuke us and chisel away the hardness of our hearts of stone. The parables of Jesus are, in a sense, stood up like statues, stood up as witnesses of our lives, stood up as witnesses against the way we are to live. They hold up a light to our hearts and ask us quite pointedly if there's been any real difference in our lives. Going back to last week, what they ask us is if we possess what we profess. What then is a parable? Well, the Greek is parabalo. Para means alongside, and balo means hurl. So a parable is literally a story that is hurled alongside some other truth. So you've got some truth, and then Jesus comes and hurls alongside that truth this story that teaches us more and more, or hides from us more and more, what that truth is. So in order to illustrate something that he is teaching, Christ throws a story alongside that teaching. He puts a parable alongside a truth in order to illustrate it. How do we interpret parables then? The simple question we can always ask, therefore, when interpreting a parable is, what is Christ trying to teach us by way of this parable? What truth is he teaching by throwing this story alongside some truth. Parables can be dangerous because some of them, for example, the lost son in Luke 15, some of them have multiple meanings, while others only have one meaning. Others, like we'll see here with the parable of the sower, are explained using allegory. Jesus does that. However, using allegory for other parables can lead us into great heresy. Parables are not allegorical unless they are interpreted by Jesus allegorically. When we try to allegorize parables, we run into issues. Other parables are extended similes, and some are even comparative stories. Others still are moral narratives. Again, when we're reading a parable, the question to ask is, what truth is Jesus illustrating by hurling alongside this story, alongside the truth? What truth is Jesus illustrating by using this story? Purpose, then. What is the purpose? Obviously, it's to illustrate the truth, but it's Jesus' preferred form of public teaching. This is what he uses in in his public ministry. Public being the key word. 
Why did Jesus speak in parables? To teach truth, but why not speak more clearly if that's what he's doing? We'll we'll actually go to Mark here. I'm going to skip ahead. So look with me at Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower, verses 10 to 12. So he's told the parable, context. We'll come back and read through it again, but when we look at the purpose, we just want to look here at verse 10 to 12, and then we'll go to Matthew 13 as well. So here's the purpose of parables. When he was alone, those around him, that is, the disciples around him, with the 12 apostles, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, now this will sound familiar, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the purpose of parables is to reveal, but it is also to conceal. Verse 11, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let's go to Matthew 13, just, just quickly, verses 10 to 15. So the parable of the sower is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Minor differences, but very similar. Matthew expands a little more on what Jesus says. So here's Matthew 13. Verses 10 to 15. The disciples came to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Jesus is quoting Isaiah, and he's saying, the reason I'm speaking in parables is because I am coming like Isaiah to bring judgment on people whose hearts are hardened. I'm coming to speak in parables to teach you truth for those of you who hear, but I am coming to bring judgment for those of you who have rejected my word and have hardened your hearts. This people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. I come to speak in parables so that they, lest they see with their ears, eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. So the purpose of parables is to reveal and to conceal. First, it is to reveal. It is to teach us the secrets of the kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus says. To you, the disciples, to you, believers, to you, those called by God, regenerated in your hearts, to those has been given the secret, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, the, the parable provides a deeper understanding of the secrets of God's kingdom. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, 
the parable provides a deeper understanding of the secrets of God's kingdom. However, it is also to conceal. The parable is meant to conceal. The purpose is to bring a level of judgment. It conceals truth from those who do not believe. For those who do not have ears to hear and eyes to see, the parable is an instrument of concealment. Jesus is saying, you don't want to listen. You, you, don't want, to, you want to continue not to listen, and that's fine. I'll keep speaking, but I'm going to speak in such a way that my truths continue to be hidden from you. I will speak in such a way that your hearts continue to harden. Again, this comes back to why Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. The parable is given to obscure meaning to those outside of the kingdom, to those who are not given its secrets, to those who are not given ears to hear. And again, especially as we see in the Gospel of Mark, a line of separation is drawn between those who are inside and those who are outside. Remember the context. Just before this parable of the sower, at the end of Mark chapter 3, Jesus is saying who his true family is. His family is outside the house. The teachers and the Pharisees, the scribes are outside the house, but he's inside with his disciples. And he says to them, who is my family? but those who do my will. And now we have the parable of the sower, which is keeping that line of separation in the forefront of our minds. There is a line drawn between those who are inside and those who are outside. Taking these two purposes, that of revealing and concealing, of enlightenment and judgment, Jesus spoke in parables in order to elicit a response from the hearer. Look at verses 3 and 9. Verse 3. Listen. Listen. Verse 9. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When we hear a parable, the question is, are we listening? This is what we'll delve more into. Jesus told parables to wake people up and to call them to action. Those who heard but didn't act proved to be on the outside of the kingdom, while those who heard and obeyed and heeded proved to be on the inside of the kingdom. With that, let's, let's expound a little more on this. We'll look at the different seeds in this parable. So I'll read verses 1 to 20, and then we'll, we'll uh, exposit and apply So here's Mark 4, 1-20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The explanation is, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This parable is all about the word of God and its growth. It is about the seed, what that seed is, but it is also about the seed's growth or lack of growth. First, we'll look at what the seed is. Very simply, it's the word. As we've read, the seed is the word. The sower sows the word. As Matthew says in Matthew 13, 19, that seed is the seed. The seed is the word of the kingdom. As Luke says in chapter 8, the seed is the word of God. Here, Mark just says it's the word, but it's the same thing. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the word of God. It's the word. The word, not a word, but the word. They're all saying the same thing. The seed is not man's word. It is God's word. So this parable then is about the origin and the continuation of God's kingdom, the growth of God's kingdom, through God's word. Just as a little aside, the question we always have to ask ourselves is what creates God's people? God's people are only created by one thing, and that's God's word. We, as God's people, did not create his word. We did not create the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and we, as his people, are created by his word. Again, it's not a trick question. Mark's not trying to trick us. The seed is the word, which is the word of God. How do we know Christ? The Word. How do we know who God is? The Word. How do we know the true gospel? That, when we believe it, brings salvation. The Word. How do we know if we are right in, or wrong in what we believe? About God, about ourselves, about the church? The Word. It is the Word of God that creates the people of God. That sustains the people of God. And so this is the purpose of this parable. The word in us and its growth. Next, what about the soil? The soil it plays a pretty important part as well. Look at verse 4 and verse 15. And we'll, we'll kind of just do a little comparison here just briefly. 
verse 4 and verse, verse 15. You'll, we'll see the same thing as we keep going, but the first, first time it happens is verse 4 and verse 15. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Nothing fancy. Some seed fell along the path. So he sowed, the sower is sowing seed. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear. You see that transfer? The sower is sowing the seed, but now when Jesus is explaining the parable, that seed has now gone into the soil, and that it's turned into a personal thing, where it's no longer just the seed that's there growing. Now he's saying, these are the ones who hear, and then this happens. These are the ones who hear, and then this happens. These are the ones who hear. So the seed comes into the soil, and then the seed starts to grow in the soil into a plant. And so what, what's really going on here is that we've got the word, which is the seed coming in to a person, which is represented by the soil and the growing plant out of that seed. The word grows in a person, and here the person's responsibility is continued discipleship. There's a movement from just the word being sown to somebody who hears that word and either grows and bears fruit or grows and dies. The soil and plant, as a result of that planted seed, that planted word, represents us, represents a person, represents someone who is hearing the word of God. Now we come to our four types. The first one, again, going back to verse 4 and 15, the first one is the path. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown on them. Now the path is not concrete or cement that we would know now. What the path is, is a path through a field that thousands and thousands of feet have walked on, making it hard-packed ground where the seed cannot actually enter into the ground. It's probably so hard it can't even be tilled. We've got, you know, fancy machinery now, but they didn't have that 2,000 years ago. So it's a hard path, and the seeds don't go anywhere. And so when the seed is scattered all over the place and they fall on this path, they don't go anywhere and they just sit there and it's slim, easy pickings for the birds. The birds come in for easy pickings. And this is the image of the hard-hearted person. The heart is so hard that when the word is preached, it does not even get into the heart. That those who are hearing hear it but it goes no further than the hard outer layer of their hearts. There's no pain of conviction. There's no pricking of the heart. There's no repentance. And the result is that the heart grows harder. One great example is Pharaoh. Moses kept going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go or the Lord will do this. And then the Lord did it. And, the, and then Pharaoh said, yes, sure, go. And then changed his mind. The scripture says that as Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened his heart more and more as well. It's a rejection of the word of the Lord. The hard heart grows harder and things go from bad to worse. Bitterness 
a critical spirit. And the gospel continues to find no root. The message is misunderstood, even though it's heard. And the heart is hard against the word of God, hard against the gospel. And so the challenge then is to take care of our hearts. If we do not, the word of God that we read, that we hear, the word of God is snatched. The word of God is snatched and has no root. If this is you, when you hear the word preached, it will go no further than that. You may hear the word, but you do not think about the truth of it in your mind or feel the truth of it in your heart. The word is snatched. I'm not worried about too many of us in here with regard to our hard hearts because I know you. But it's always a question we have to ask. Next, verses 5 to 6 and then 16 to 17. The rocky soil. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that word, immediately they fall away. Here's the image of good, good northern Canada, Canadian shield type ground where there's just rocks everywhere. You can hardly plant anything. There's only a thin layer of soil. And the seed grows really, really quickly because the roots aren't growing. But then when the sun comes up or the winds blow, it dies. The seed sinks in, but there is no soil to hold the plant. The word is taken up with joy, believed with joy. Growth is apparently immediate. But when the hotness of the sun burns bright, the plant withers and dies. And as Jesus says, when the sun hot fire of tribulation and persecution come, because of that message we believe, because of that word that the world says is foolish, we wither under the pressure of that tribulation and persecution. This could be family members who question our sanity, friends who urge us to come back to them, to have fun with them in the world, co-workers who make fun of us and call us a fool for believing the gospel. The world screams at us to stop being boring. The world tempts us to live a little just before we die, to not be so radical, to not be so crazy over Jesus, to not believe everything about the Bible. And even our flesh says, that's enough. This far, but no further. Even our flesh says, you know, I've prayed my prayer, I've got my ticket, I'm good with that. I won't delve any deeper. These are the things that cause the seed to die after it sprouts up. These are the things that cause the word of God to shrivel up in our hearts. These are the things that cause us to be unfruitful. The word sprouts in our heart, but it gets too hard to continue to hold to it under the pressure of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is no sustained growth, no matter how slow it may be. And instead of persevering, the rocky soil of the shallow heart gives up and withers under the pressure. 
the rocky soil of the shallow heart gives up and withers under the pressure. Again, there's no growth. Instead, there's death. Next is the thorny soil or the choked heart. Verses 7 and then 18 to 19. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. These are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These plants are strong. These plants have good roots. They've taken time to grow, but they are not in good soil. They're healthy. The seed is sprouted. But they are easily defeated by the struggles of life. These plants faced one definite and deathly struggle. Polluted soil. Surrounded by thorny weeds that choked the life out of them. And just like weeds, riches and desires tend to grow up gradually. We can't afford a house and a boat and two trucks and a couple cabins and a retirement fund all at once. We have to slowly accumulate those things. And so slowly, month by month, year by year, we accumulate stuff. And slowly, very slowly, like thorny weeds growing up alongside a healthy plant, such things strangle the life out of our spiritual lives. Now the answer isn't to get rid of everything. It's not what I'm saying. We will always be surrounded by thorny weeds that are trying to choke us and strangle us. We will always be surrounded by the, uh, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We cannot get away from those. But this is the most dangerous place for us to be as Christians. We aren't in danger of not believing because the seed hasn't been snatched away. We aren't in danger of withering away because we already have faced hardship and we have grown through it. We aren't in danger of unfruitfulness. We aren't in danger of spiritual maturity. The plant has grown up strong and healthy. We aren't in danger of the word of God being choked in us. What we are in danger of is never growing beyond a certain level of infancy. Again, it starts slow. Less reading, less studying of scripture, less desire to be involved in the things of the Lord, less and less fighting for truth. The choked plants still come to church, they still sing songs, they still smile on Sundays, but their hearts are slowly dying because the soil isn't tilled there is no word because it is choked out of them. The truth is not taken seriously. The word is not taken seriously. The word is just passed off as some kind of addendum to a religious system. The easiest thing to do is to stop reading our Bibles and to stop hearing from God and to start thinking that the message isn't for us every day. Now, when we look at these first three types, there are similarities. There is no growth or there is poor growth. 
Why? Because the word is not at work. The word is not at work. That is what is planted is the word. And there is no growth because the word is not at work. And there is death because the word is not at work. And even where there is growth, it is stunted and stilted because the word is not at work. But this last one is the most dangerous because it can creep up on us. It is slow. It is like the accumulation of dust over the years. It is like the growth of a child that you see every day. It is like the thickening of the ice as you're waiting to go fishing. It is slow and imperceptible. And this is how so many of us die. This is how many, this is how so many churches die. We sleep our way into it. We sleep our way into death as individuals and as churches because we disregard, we reject, we ignore God's word. We turn away from what it says and turn into what we say for the sake of comfort. The word of God is not at work in the soils of our hearts as individuals and therefore is not at work in the soils of our heart as a body of Christ. The seeds, the soil, the plant, all of that at work is people who hear, but that's where it ends. They do not accept it as God's word. They reject it. And as the Lord says through Jeremiah, they have no wisdom. They, that is Israel, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Whoever we are, whether or not we profess Christ, we are fools. We are unwise if we hear but do not pay attention to the word of God. What about the good soil? What about the soft and open heart? Verse 8 and 20. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept the word and then bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The seed in this soil grows and produces fruit, a ton of fruit. A hundredfold is a huge crop. That's ridiculous. The seed is growing into a healthy plant and producing fruit because it is being nurtured and cared for. The word, the seed, is being nurtured and cared for rather than abandoned. Israel, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, we won't go there, but Israel understands the importance of the word of God. we often forget the importance of the Word of God. For Israel, the Word of God was so important that it was commanded to be put on their doorposts, to be put as frontlets on their eyes, to be written on their hearts, to be written on their hands. 
to be everywhere, when they're going in, when they're coming out, to be talked about in the marketplace. The word of God was everywhere, on their lips, on their hearts, on their minds. The word of God is to be all over your life, permeating it, soaking it, saturating it. That is the image of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. His word is to be on our hearts. It is to be taught to our children. It is to be talked about at our homes, in our homes, talked about in town, thought about in bed. It is to be so close to you that it would be as if it was tattooed on our hands and imprinted on our foreheads. It is to be such a part of our life that it is written on our doors and walls and railings. That it is with us when we go out and with us when we come in. That is how important God's word is. This is what this parable is teaching us. Not only is it the seed that grows in us. It is the means by which the plant continues to grow. Thus, the one who hears the word of God and understands it and pays attention to it. Who reads it and obeys it. That is the seed that grows into a plant that then continues to grow on into maturity. That is the one who will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Let me summarize and and conclude and apply. There are two types of hearers here. Two types of hearers represented by the first three soils and then the last one. Now, if you're a Greek scholar, I'm not. I have to read Greek scholars. But if you're a Greek scholar, you'll know the difference in the Greek. The first three, the word for hearer, is different than the last one. The definition of the Greek is that the first three are inattentive hearing. Those hearing and dying are inattentive. They are careless. The word goes in one ear and out the other. Inattentive, careless hearing in one ear and out the other. The last one, the the seed that grows in the good soil, those hearers, the ones who hear and then accept, are attentive. This is attentive, ongoing hearing. It is careful. It is heeding, not just hearing, but also heeding the word of the Lord. Let me apply it with just three brief questions. First, what is Jesus' point here in the parable of the sower? First, it is the word of God that creates and sustains us. It is the seed that is planted and that grows. Again, it is that we must soak ourselves in scripture. If we are ever to learn how to know and love and serve and honor and obey the Lord of hosts, the Lord of creation. It is the word that is light and life. Hear me well, it is impossible. We may say, well, nothing's impossible with God. It is impossible for us to grow as Christians, for us to live as Christians, for us to live as his people if we do not have the word in us. It is impossible to grow as Christians, as the church, if we do not have 
his word growing in us. As Psalm 119 says, it must be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. There is no other lamp. There is no other light other than God's word. Second question, what lesson does this parable carry for us as believers, as those with ears to hear? As those of us who have heard and accepted the word, what is the Lord calling us to? Well, again, it just builds on the first point, but what he is calling us to is to be sustained and reformed by God's word, to continue to hear. When Jesus is tempted by the devil, Matthew 4 specifically I'm thinking of, but when Jesus is tempted by the devil and he says, turn these stones into bread, and Jesus' answer is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. What he's saying there, he's, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, what he's saying is, food isn't enough. Like if you're a Christian, you need the word. You can't expect to get on without the word. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Third, what judgment is he pronouncing on those who do not hear? When we think of judgment, we don't just think of end, end of time, end of days judgment. What we think of is just the Lord pronouncing judgment. That repentance could still come. But when we think of judgment, it's not just hellfire and brimstone and sulfur and ash and the pit reserved for Satan Satan and his angels. Judgment is the Lord coming and pronouncing judgment like he did all the time with Israel. So what judgment is he pronouncing on those who do not hear? That they are yet outside the kingdom. That the word that is sown in their hearts is not producing anything because their soil is hard or the seed that is in them is going to die because their hearts are shallow or full of weeds. The judgment is that those who do not hear and accept the word are either dead, withering, or, or slowly dying. The response then is repentance. As always, if we find that we are hearing the word, but not accepting it, the answer is repentance, turning from self, turning to God through Christ and through his blood for the forgiveness of sins. If our hearts are hard or shallow or full of weeds and we are not hearing and accepting the word of God, Repentance is the only answer. However, if we are in the word of God, we will grow. However imperceptibly it may seem. We will grow and we will produce fruit. If you are not in the word, you will grow nothing. And so the exhortation is, be in the word. kind of gone over time. I was going to look at Isaiah 6 again, but we can maybe do that another time, maybe at the annual meeting, because it's pertinent. Let's, uh, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through it. But we thank you that you have given it to us that we may read it and know you more. Lord, we pray that you would increase our knowledge, increase our understanding, help us more and more to know who you are. Help us to uh, be convicted about what you say in Deuteronomy, that the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Help us lay hold of those things that are revealed to us in your word, Lord, and, um, and learn them more and more. Grant us a desire for your word that we may know you more and more. In Jesus' precious name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Embers in the Dark. Enjoy your week.